If you're a high performer, then literally anything becomes possible. If you're used to setting your mind to things and manifesting your vision into reality, then you've already proven to yourself that you can. But what it doesn't do, is it, do it doesn't help you figure out, okay, well, if anything is possible, what do I do? It's a totally different question. If I can do anything, then what should I do? So the default, unless you have an answer to that question on what you should do, the default is anything. I'll do anything and everything. Welcome to the Driving Force Podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Chase Rosa, a former private equity analyst, now exploring human performance through podcasting, coaching, jujitsu, and endurance athletics. In this podcast, I'll be unraveling the stories of high performers across sports, business, and wellness. By presenting their stories, uncensored and uncut, I hope to inspire you to take a step back, look within, and evaluate your path and journey. Today's guest is Chase Damiano. Chase helps get entrepreneurs out of the weeds. He works as a business advisor, consultant, and coach to founders and CEOs, and more specifically, helps them clarify their vision, building scalable operational strategies, and executing alongside their team. Few people truly understand the entrepreneurial mindset and journey, but Chase certainly does. Prior to his current consulting and coaching work, Chase served as the chief operating officer for five years at Commonwealth Joe, a venture-backed beverage technology startup in Arlington, Virginia. He partnered with the founder to accelerate annual revenue from 60000 to a seven-figure ARR, grow from one to over 500 re regional customers, and scale the team from two to 70 employees. It was through all of the highs and lows of this experience that inspired him to help entrepreneurs in their journeys. In this interview, we get into Chase's original path to become a chemical engineer, the shift to business and working in management consulting, his time at Commonwealth Joe and lessons learned, and his current work helping entrepreneurs get out of the weeds. And so, without further ado, my interview with Chase Damiano. Awesome. So let's start this off at the beginning here. Where'd you grow up? Yeah, so I, I grew up in Mechanicsville, Virginia, which is right outside of Richmond. Okay. Is that like a pretty small town? Like how would you describe it? Yeah, I would say it's a it's a Richmond suburb. So um, you know, what, Mechanicsville is one of those towns where it's like, oh, it's kinda got a quirky name. So you'd see it on the on the interstate driving by and that's how you would remember it. Uh, you, people give you the joke. It's like, oh, is it a town full of mechanics? But, <laughs> um, but it, it was really a, a suburb of Richmond, a part of really the greater Richmond area. Okay, got it. And then, you know, I know a lot of wor the work that you do now is is helping you work with and coach entrepreneurs. Was business and entrepreneurship a big part of like your family growing up? Like, was it table talk? Like, did, were your parents in business? Yeah, so um, it was and it wasn't. It wasn't vocalized or verbalized in the same way that I'm sure some families are, but uh, my, my dad had worked for the railroad system, CSX railroad system for uh, the majority of his career. And then he, uh, he was unfortunately laid off from that and then had been doing, like running businesses of his own um, for um, the greater, you know, greater half of his life. So um, doing different cleaning services, uh, doing vending machine services to provide provide means for himself, but also have the time freedom work on his own schedule. So in terms of like talking about go out and create that for yourself, that wasn't the discussion. The discussions was always we were always about okay, go you know go to a good school, uh, get a really high paying job, work there for most of you know your 40, 50 year career and then uh, retire with your pension. So that, that was more of the conversation at home. Interesting. Okay. And what did your mom do? Uh, my mom worked with, and she was a teacher's aide for a while at my, um, my former elementary school, and then uh, now works as a registrar at my brother's uh, former high school. So uh, she's, uh, she's in the administrative like, education system. Okay. And so while your dad was um, building these different businesses, did you work with, with him at all in any of those? No, not once. 
I, I there was there was a time where I uh, as I was trying to like, earn some more money in high school, he he had jobs like clean churches as an example, and so I would help him out in that, but not in a you know heads down like this is this is going to be the thing uh, sort of capacity. So it, it was more odds and ends, more odd jobs. Okay, and was were were those conversations that you were having with your dad about you know getting that really high paying job after you get really good grades in college and they're working there for you know, 30, 40 years. Was that something that like resonated with you in the beginning? Like, did you have some pushback to that? Like, what was kind of your reaction to those conversations? Yeah. So when I was, when I was in high school and, you know, I I was thinking about what did I want to study in college? Um, how if you're having like the first thoughts is like, all right, what do I want to do with my life? Do you ever really figure it out then? No, but you, uh, you know, you start getting some ideas and a lot of the conversations early on were very much uh, financially driven. So it was really, really thinking about of, of the different career options that I was looking at uh, a lot of the back talk happening from, you know, parents or either even friends, peers, people I looked up to was really like, what's going to earn you the most money? Um, what is the degree that when you pop out of school, you're going to be able to get a well-paying job such that you can have this, uh, this amount of financial security. And uh, that, well, that might sometimes stem from, okay, maybe I didn't have that financial security, so I wanna make you, Chase, sure that, that you have that financial security, because I didn't. So that, yeah. was like, that was really the decision-making lens that was installed into me as I was going through this and making that decision. So I think that sums it up. Okay, okay, got it. Um, like, what were you passionate about or like really interested in as, as a kid? Like was sports, was it music, art? Yeah, so as a, as a kid, sure, yeah. Um, so as a kid, I really was into Taekwondo. Uh, really, um, it, it, it provided a, a, not just exercise, but also uh, discipline, repetition, um, uh, mastery. I, I, I loved it. I, I wasn't into it for a while when I started, but then I got really into it. Um, also really, you know, growing up as a very young kid, always building Legos, like putting together different pieces. Uh, there were like these, um, capsule type sets called Capicella that I just like loved and, um, anything that I can build, construct or create, um, Mm -hmm. uh, and then music, music as well. Really, really was passionate about playing guitar. I, a part of me was, uh, you know, in another life, a lead singer in a band and I uh, got to play out that fantasy a little bit uh, with small gigs in high school, but nothing, <laughs> nothing, nothing yeah. major whatsoever. It was just all for fun, which I mean, that's what passions are for. They're like, they're for fun. They're for just the joy of doing. So it was really, really around those. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, with the Legos there, you know, loved creating, loved building. Would you say that maybe you're like, you're a natural born entrepreneur, like, like, do, do you just love like creating things? And that's always been a part of your life. Like, kind of just like talk to me about that. Sure. So that, that question in particular, like natural born, um, and it, it goes from a long, uh, a, a debate that talks about is entrepreneurship something that you are born with, you're raised with, or is it an acquired skill? And I, I actually believe more that is an acquired skill. It is, um, it is a, it's a mindset as well as a persistence and an attitude towards um, op- creating opportunities and then capturing those opportunities much more than um, maybe the types of things I was into when I was much younger. Yes, did I build, create, do those sorts of things? Yes, I did. But I also believe there are other archetypes that are out there that are prime for uh, entrepreneurship. So as an example, like I was, a, I was a relatively good student. I got A's and B's, but there are plenty entrepreneurs out there that got C's and D's consistently in um, more structured learning environments in which their, their gifts were not being brought out in the appropriate way. So right. I think there are, it's a, there are a lot of different paths to get sort of toward the same end of you know, building something for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. And so where do you end up going to college? I went to Virginia tech, uh, in Blacksburg, Virginia, Southwest Virginia. Okay. (laughs) Right. And, uh, 
I think I saw that you majored in chemical engineering and economics. What yeah. was driving that, the idea behind those majors? Did it go back to the idea that, okay, these two majors will get me that, you know, financial security and you know, that amount of money or get me on that path? Yeah. So I had, when I, when I entered school, I had a love for chemistry. And so, you know, chemistry, this, uh, this notion of experimentation, discovery, um, you know, looking at the universe as, you know, a breakdown into these uh, atomic subatomic particles that make up the very fiber of, you know, who we are, where we are, like, what is this world or universe <laughs> that we're in really? So I, I, I love that notion. And as I, um, I was pointed to chemical engineering as a means to not just have that experimentation, but also the application. So if chemistry is really about how do I create a new formula, how do I create a formula to create something new, the chemical engineer would ask, how do I take that new thing and then make 100,000 pounds of it a day? So in a factory. So uh, I got, I started with chemical engineering because it was this combination between both this, like both discovering as well as application. And I had some ups and downs with it because um, chemical engineering missed out on more of that design design and discovery experimentation piece that chemists, chemi chemistry majors would get. Um, but I, can, I decided to keep going. I found my, um, I, I found what I liked in chemical engineering, which is really designing and architecting different plants and uh, processes to get those results as opposed to like working on factory floors. And then economics, I thought was, uh, the, the reason I did it is because I, I did a co-op um, in chemical engineering. I worked at Honeywell for a number of semesters, took time off of school to like, go get that experience. And I had space on my schedule for a whole additional major. And um, seeing as like, hey, I'm only gonna be in college once, like I could go and you know not do anything, or I have the space for a major, like why wouldn't I just go get it? In economics, I felt was like a intrinsically interesting and motivating topic um, just in learning. And, you know, kind of combining the two, if chemical engineering is really uh, around like, okay, here's how we would scale up this process from zero into something much larger. Economics really answers the question is like, are you sure you want to do that? So it puts the, it puts the, you know, cost into it for sure, but also um, not just financial costs, but things like opportunity cost and how different economies around the world engage from each other in like terms of trade or how the economics of uh, the healthcare industry might work and, uh, and different, models, different models for growth that I thought were interesting. And kind of when you, when you put them together, then I, I mentally sort of treat, okay, engineering was definitely the build process scale sort of side of, um, of what the things I like to do. And then the economics is really more like the business side of the, um, types of things I like to do. Right. Okay. And then with that intersection in mind, what did you think you wanted to do for a career while you were in college? Yeah. So I was, I was committed and I knew that I was going to, as mentioned before, like design plants, like design chemical plants. I didn't, I didn't as much envision myself as the person on the floor, like wearing the hard hat, managing a specific production process, but I want, I want to be sitting back and thinking like, how can I make this better? How, how can I, if, you know, if you need to create something large, like how can I help that come to fruition? Um, but thing, things got a little bit, uh, things got turned around. I never, I never, I never lived that dream. I thought that that was going to be, that, that was my pathway and that was my, you know, dream job, but other factors, other factors came to life that, um, that deviated that uh, from that. And the primary thing being my, my son was born. So um, I had a son when I was young and 21 years old uh, while I was still in school. And for the first time in my life, I had not considered any other person like, outside of myself. You're young, you're immature, sure. you're high in ego, you don't know anything in school. And uh, for the first time, I realized that you know, this world wasn't just about me anymore. So while I had this dream job teed up, lined up right after school, it was in Delaware and like in the middle of an area that, um, that I didn't want to be in. And my son at the time was living in the DC area. So instead of going and pursuing that quote unquote dream job in Delaware, I then turned towards finding companies to work with in the DC area instead. And it's so it's a very values driven decision to be like, Hey, it's worth it to me 
to be close to my son, to be a good father, um, than it is to like pursue this career, which could be a gamble. You know, I had only had that dream job again, quote unquote, for, Mm -hmm. you know, a very small period of time, but fatherhood is a lifetime. So, um, so instead I took a job with a company I knew nothing about called Accenture and, (laughs) uh, jumped in into, uh, and then moved to DC right after school. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I could definitely imagine that would be a huge change in perspective. Was, um, was that like planned like to have that, have that child or to have him? That's a good question. Uh, no, wasn't, but out of anything that has happened like in my life, just in terms of deriving meaning and purpose, uh, I would say that, you know, his existence is, uh, the number one thing that has really moved, um, me intrinsically and personally, um, like he's my joy. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 excuse me. And I can imagine that like the idea of kind of extrinsic, extrinsic versus intrinsic motivation. That's just a huge intrinsic motivator. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. And so, so what led you to work at Accenture? Like what, it sounds like it was more of a, I wouldn't say on a whim, but it just wasn't, I guess, as maybe thought out as, um, I might've imagined it to be going into the interview. Sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, on the outside looking in, it's like, okay, he like definitely went down like a consulting business career type pathway, you know, migrated away from, um, engineering for that reason. But truth be told, the, the reason I pursued Accenture was because it was the job that was available in the DC area. The only driver for me um, moving to DC and like taking the Accenture job, which I can't underestimate to you I, how little I knew about Accenture prior to like diving in. Like I, I, I knew that they did consulting. I didn't really know at the time, what, what is this? Um, what's, the pro- what's the types of projects I'm gonna be working on? I didn't understand what they were talking about. Uh, it, the, the words that they had used, it, they were just over my head. And it's simply because I just didn't know. Um, I hadn't right. learned that aspect of the world yet. So I really did dive in um, totally eyes closed to, um, I, 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 I knew I still wanted to, I wanted to stay in touch with engineering. So I decided after taking the job with Accenture moving to DC that I would give myself one year, one year to test the waters here, see if I like it, see if I you know want to continue for another year um, and then, and just go from there. So. Uh, I think one thing I've just learned over time is that almost no decision is truly irreversible. Most of the decisions that we make in life can be reversed. We can give ourselves a certain amount of time to reflect on a decision that we've been made and then uh, proactively set up time with ourselves to figure out it was that the right decision. So it's a practice I still do today. I make a decision on something to go you know, left or right. And then six months down the road, I'll set a reminder for myself. It's like, okay, was that the right decision or was it not? And why was it, or why was it not? So this was just one of those. Um, I was, I was still young back then. So I didn't really um, have that same level of understanding of it, but right. uh, that, that's what happened. Huh. That's super interesting. Cause I know a lot of people, you know, in business mm-hmm. listening to this, like Accenture is a huge, well-known brand name, global consulting firm. So it's, it's Which I came really to find out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. It, I, I mean to poke fun at myself in this way because it was really like me going in uh, totally blind. Like I really had yeah. no clue. The only, th- the only thing I knew that was driving me was um, I need to be with my son. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so what was your role there? Uh, I was a technology analyst, management consultant there and um, started out at a very large project with a, um, with a company here in the DC area and then moved on to a very small project with an innovative technology, like a startup type firm. Um, Accenture had different interests in both of those projects. Uh, but at, as I went through my very short Accenture career, I just, I floated between those two. Okay. And so what was it about the job that kept you there past that one year? Yeah, it's a good question. So yes, you know, I did stay there for beyond one year. And at the time, I, I felt like I was open to a whole new world. 
I felt is like, oh, wow, this, I had no idea this world of consulting existed. Um, this new lens on business is like, it, it touched a lot of uh, business nuances that I was in, it, like very interested in learning more about. The, the client work was okay. It was like, you know, some days are great. Some days not as great. That's, uh, you know, life, <laughs> life, no matter what you do, even entrepreneurship is a lot like that. Uh, so um, I felt that I was learning a tremendous amount. And that's uh, the primary reason I stayed. I was also aggressively getting myself out of college debt uh, by doing so. So I, okay. you know, whereas many of, many of my peers in, when, when you get indoctrinated into consulting world, you know, your world might look like, a whole lot of happy hours, a whole lot of crazy nights, a whole lot of long nights and weekends. Mm -hmm. I, I did my best to corral those pieces so I can uh, save as much money as I could to aggressively get out of college debt. And the reason I wanted to do that because it dawned on me and it clicked while at Accenture that entrepreneurship was the path I wanted to go walk on for myself. Like I, I felt like I really wanted to give it a shot. Didn't have an idea, didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to work for myself and do things more on my own terms as opposed to uh, working in a larger company to at least try it, which was the big driver. Same as the Accenture decision, I want to at least try. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And when, like, when did that seed like get, get planted and like, like while you're at Accenture and like, why do you think that kind of grew in you? Yeah. It's a good question. So it really started when I started studying um, financial freedom and personal freedom as a as a discipline. So in 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 I was also you know getting out of college debt, saving aggressively, um, spending very very little as little as I could. I'm talking like I was I was making a very decent salary, but I was still living in like a mattress on the mattress on the floor type in the basement of some like someplace or like I did everything I could everything I could was focused on um, getting out of debt to provide the means to do whatever I wanted afterward so but it really clicked when at, you know I read a bunch of books on entrepreneurship but it really clicked when I went to a startup weekend which is a uh, you know these weekend competitions that bring in uh, dozen, dozens of individuals to work on startup ideas in a limited amount of time and then pitch them in front of a panel of judges um, to win prize money and to win opportunities to like go flesh out your idea further. So I went to one at Lehigh University in Pennsylvania mm -hmm. and after that I was hooked. We, like, we had taken a concept from zero to 60 in a very small amount of time and we ended up winning second place in the competition. And after that, I was like, wow, this is just, this is just incredible. So that's where the itch really started. And right. about that time I was, I was pretty much out of college debt. And so I was now open to opportunities to, uh, to, you know, take that next step forward. And so I, I didn't proactively look, but if you, if you sort of think my heart started looking like I was now like ready. So I was out there and listening and talking to people and just seeing seeing what opportunities existed. Interesting. Okay. And what are your biggest takeaways or lessons learned from working at Accenture? Yeah. So I think Accenture really taught me a lot about service. So, you know, we might believe at we're, we're all service providers in a way, whether we are working with a larger company um, whether we are entrepreneurs working for ourselves, like who are we really serving? Well, in essence, we're always serving our customers. We're always serving um, the individual that needs that help, that wants to get that impact. And Accenture helped me understand that. It's like we, um, I worked with teams that instead of feeling like you're coming in, you're doing your, you know, 10 hours for the day, whatnot, uh, we created teams that really brought much more like empathy and care and like actually, you know, at, you actually want to be there, attitude. And that level of teamwork, which is rare, um, but that's what really stuck with me. I, I saw my time in Accenture as a means to test my own capabilities, test my own leadership, try new things in a relatively safe bubble. Like I was always getting a paycheck, but I can try new things. I can make mistakes. I can develop relationships with 
people many, many levels above me. I can develop relationships with my clients. I can really ask them honest questions about how can I really serve? How can I help? So that skill got ever refined while at Accenture. Meanwhile, having this professional uh, buttoned up lens through which to, to, through which to do that in order to help like build trust, build partnership and camaraderie across the table. Got it. Awesome. And so when, after you go to that startup weekend, like where does that ultimately lead you to your next opportunity? Yeah. So startup weekend, we got second place. We had, um, we felt very motivated by that. So we ended up meeting a few more times to see as like, Hey, do we want to work on this more? Some people left the team, some people joined the team and eventually the idea had a little bit of traction, but ultimately fizzled out. And primary reason was that, um, the distance was tough. I was coming in from DC. I didn't own a car at the time. I would have to take the bus, um, stay at like their houses and what just couch surf and whatnot. Um, yeah. So we did just didn't get the interaction time to like really get it legs. Okay. What's the next part of your question? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so how did the opportunity come about to then join Commonwealth Joe? Got it. So while, uh, while I was there at Accenture, um, I had met my would soon to be business partner, uh, who has a uh, very passionate, charismatic individual who wanted to help his mom bring her craft coffee to more people, especially in the DC area. His mom was an amazing coffee roaster, um, but was, was struggling more on like the sales and the marketing and the branding side of the equation. So thus Commonwealth Joe was born is really to help get her passion, her gift out uh, to more individuals. So he and I had met um, he created a company with uh, several other individuals um, that he met in school and ended up leaving his role at Accenture um, in order to pursue Commonwealth Joe full-time. Uh, meanwhile, while I was wrapping up my time at Accenture, I, I realized that my uh, son and his mother were moving to Japan. Uh, his mother was in the Air Force, so uh, she would do these three-year assignments. And so Japan, Misawa Japan was the next one. And to me, I'm just like, oh, wow, that's like a huge change. And so I had a, I had a moment where I was like, okay, like, what am I going to do next? Am I going to try, you know, go move to Japan or am I going to stay here at Accenture and like figure things out? So fast forward, the end of that story is it didn't work out for me to move to Japan. Um, couldn't find the right opportunity to help me get over there and stay over there and actually be able to see my son. So it left me just sort of traveling back and forth between the U.S. and Japan over over a number of years while they were there. While wow. that was all happening, I was open to I was still open to different opportunities. I had already put in notice at Accenture, and that's when uh, that's when my business partner and I reconnected and was like, "Hey, let's like let's find let's find a way to make Commonwealth Joe a thing." So. It was in the summer of uh, 2014 that I came on full time to uh, help make their help make their dreams a reality. Okay, and so how often would would you be traveling like per year from the U.S. to Japan? Um, I would do these in like big swaths. So I might I was over there for like three month period of time or like a right. two month period of time. So it, it wasn't like back and forth so much. I would just carve out huge blocks of time to to go over there and just stay over there. Okay. So it usually ended up being like once or twice a year because of that. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so maybe just for the people listening, provide a quick overview of um, Commonwealth Joe. Yeah. So Commonwealth Joe is a uh, B2B beverage technology and service company really dedicated to help uh, offices rethink their office coffee. So um, office coffee tends to be, an afterthought. You can get it via Keurig or an espresso, like whatever machine that tends to be in your office. And um, it's, it's never high quality. It's not artisanal. And what you, what you typically do is like, you, that's your option. You either bring in coffee from home or you're using the Keurig or you're walking 15 minutes down the street to your favorite coffee shop. And uh, more and more over time, as uh, millennials get into the office, um, they're preferring that latter option. They want something more craft, something more um, that suits their style. So that's where Commonwealth Joe steps in. So we created essentially kegerators to go into the office that would serve nitro cold brew on tap. 
So it was always cold, it was always fresh, and you just pull it like a tap handle and out comes cold brew coffee. Uh, so we, we were vertically integrated. So we produced the coffee, we distributed the coffee, um, and we ran all the technology and customer service to support that, our, that uh, infrastructure. We grew it to um, about five, $6 million revenue business. Um, still, it's still growing today and up and down, up and down the East Coast. So everywhere okay. from DC all the way to New York, uh, you can find Commonwealth Joe in offices. Okay. Interesting. And what was that transition like for you going from a you know, huge global consulting firm to a startup beverage company? And like, was it a hard transition? Mm. So it was, uh, so yes and no, it was both hard and easy. So here's what was easy. After jumping into it, all of a sudden, my schedule is mine. I can dictate the terms of my own day. I could work on the projects that I felt were the most value add. There were no approval processes. I wouldn't be creating something and it would go off to the ether wondering if my boss had read it or not. <laughs> Everything was hands-on and there was a direct return on every ounce of effort that I gave. So it, 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 was, it was both, it was casual, but also still professional. And from an attitude and culture standpoint, like we created a culture that we wanted to have. So it was, uh, we, we just created the life that we wanted to have. And so for those things, it was easy. The transition became easy. How the transition was hard is in, when you're working at a job, you live in a world of pre-existing structures, pre-existing mechanisms that help you determine um, what priorities should be, um, how compensation should work, how hiring and recruitment and firing should work. Um, how your efforts might tie into a larger strategy and where the company is going. All that stuff in entrepreneurship doesn't exist. You have to create it. So, and in addition, I was also learning the management skill set for one of the first times in my life. So at the same time, I was in this new position. We were recruiting people, bringing them in. I was learning to be a new manager. And there's a tremendous amount of uncertainty in terms of like, okay, what are we actually doing? Uh, so for those reasons, it was much more difficult. And what that ended up doing is uh, my default action, because I felt the strong return on effort, every step I took, the business took a step with me, um, that I would just work a tremendous number of hours you know, putting in 60, 70, 80 hours a week, working every weekend, every night, waking up in the middle of the night at 2 a.m., believing in my mind that I had the best idea I'd ever have, and then spending the next two hours busting it out on my laptop, building Excel models galore, and, you know, driving, driving the business that way, which that, that part was very hard because uh, a lot of habits that I did back then were completely unsustainable, and therefore it affected my health, it affected my sleep, it affected my diet, um, my exercise, my family life. And so for all those sure. reasons, it was hard. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I know that well, too. Uh, on top of that, were there any like m mental or like mindset shifts that you needed to make in order to survive and grow in that startup environment? 100%. So there, the, the chief thing that event and what, what I started doing was not was was the wrong stuff and then i had to learn the lesson the hard way and that didn't come until later um where there there really is this notion if you have if you're a high performer then literally anything becomes possible if you're used to setting your mind to things and manifesting your vision into reality then you've already proven to yourself that you can but what it doesn't do is it, it doesn't help you figure out, okay, well, if anything is possible, what do I do? It's a totally different question. If I can do anything, then what should I do? So the default, unless you have an answer to that question on what you should do, the default is anything. I'll do anything and everything. It's the same thing with income. If you don't have an idea for how much income you want to earn and feel comfortable with for your life, then the answer is more. The answer is go get more. If you don't have a prescriptive answer, then the default answer is go get more. So, um, and that's what I did. I worked a tremendous number of hours and it was really to 
um, a detriment. It was not this hustle hard attitude where it was like create, you know, creating, you know, working really hard to like create the outcome. It was work because it was almost more like an addiction. And what I've come to realize is like many entrepreneurs struggle with this notion that they have to work hard on these things, that they have to put in the time, they have to have something to show for their efforts. Um, but that, that is the hard lesson that I had to learn. And it resulted in me burning myself out and uh, being argumentative with my team. I wasn't, provided, wasn't building the best culture. I felt I was a terrible manager because I couldn't reconcile what we should be doing versus anything is possible. So um, I, I had a reckoning while I was there at Commonwealth Joe and realizing that I had been doing a lot of incorrect things as a leader, as a manager, um, as his chief operating officer trying to grow the company. And I, so I had a completely different shift in mindset where it was much more about empowerment, enablement of the team, me personally getting out of the way. I was holding myself back. I was the bottleneck to every project. I, it was through the process of letting go and trusting that um, ultimately was the growth that I had to go through to really enable success for the business. I had been too stuck in this, like, okay, I'm going to work on everything, all the projects at all one time. Um, I really had to learn saying no. I really had to learn managing myself. I really had to learn leading other people um, as skill sets. And no one teaches you this stuff. You, you go out and experience it. You can read about it in like leadership and management books, but I've come to believe that this is a practice. There's no perfection in the practice, but it's a repeatable practice. And you do these right. behaviors every day then you'll, you'll slowly get to the outcome that you want. A motivated, empowered team, um, high performers that are able to achieve above and beyond what you ever thought capable um, that they could ever do. And so that was, that was a hard lesson I had to learn. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I loved all of that and definitely want to take some time after to, to really reflect on that. I think that was, that was really yeah. powerful. Yeah, that's great. And I guess... Maybe you've already answered that. Answered this. My follow-up, my next question um, in that answer. But what are your biggest takeaways or lessons learned from working at Commonwealth Joe? Biggest takeaways, lessons learned. So besides everything that was mentioned, really, our job as leaders is very small. Again, we believe that because we can do it can do something doesn't mean we should do something. Uh, one of my biggest takeaways was the difference between management and leadership, really helping to build and lead teams as opposed to just increasing my own capacity to perform. Um, I also learned that proactive investment into self on that note is also extremely important because as the business scales, if it scales as an exponential rate, then you have to scale yourself at greater than an exponential rate to be able to adequately keep up with the demands of the business, which oftentimes, and especially in a chief operating officer or president type position or a solo founder position, that does not become the case because we're stuck in our old mindsets over what worked in the past is what's going to work in the future. In which, again, it's the process of letting go, delegating, trusting others, building a high performing culture in order to achieve the company's results. That is the key, as opposed to, okay, I'm the best Excel modeling person, so I'm always gonna do the Excel modeling. I, that is an individual right. contributorship mindset, not leadership mindset. So I would say that that's one of my most powerful takeaways from my time there. Okay. Awesome. And on your website, you mentioned that you built yourself out of the system there. Um, what, what do you mean by that? Yeah. So the, that reckoning that I'm describing, which again, the most powerful insight I had from my time there resulted in changing the way that I was leading the company. Um, it meant creating role, clear role descriptions for individuals, making them very clear on what they're responsible for doing. Uh, so I think startups, many, many startups believe that, you know, everyone's like a generalist, everyone's going to do a little bit of everything, which is sustainable up to a point. 
in which you have tons of employees and people are really inefficient. No one knows who to go to for what and people are butting heads and stepping on each other's toes. And it's specifically because I did not get clarity over what this person should be doing and responsible for over this person. Uh, it's also about setting clear goals, like helping the team come up with like, okay, what are we gonna work on this quarter, this year? Making sure those goals are communicated top down and from the bottom up making sure that there's alignment and if people have, um, have an idea that needs to be different, make sure that that's being heard and putting it into account because uh, it's creating a best ideas win culture as opposed to my ideas win culture. Um, it's clearly articulating the vision. Like what are we actually going after? What is all this for? Um, why are we in business? Like clarifying the purpose. Um, and then also getting super clear on what are the metrics that are driving performance. Like maybe this quarter we care about uh, month over month revenue growth, but maybe the following quarter, following year, this, we're more driving bottom line. Maybe we have, maybe it's just customer growth. Like what are we actually optimizing the business for? Because without that, again, anything, you could do anything. My belief is that strategy is really about, and Michael Porter said this, um, strategy is really about what you're not gonna do. It's about saying no so you can drive focus in a specific area. Mm -hmm. And I, I believe that very strongly. So in terms of building myself out, I realized by implementing these techniques, these, um, these strategies, these tools, that my plate working was getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Suddenly I was less and less inside the business machine that I had created, like actually, you know, moving papers and like typing things and whatnot. And I realized that I needed to delegate my entire plate to the team such that it freed my thinking to work on it. And that's like, you know, you can work in the business or you can work on the business. If you're working in the business, then you're consistently moving things around in a recurring fashion. But entrepreneurs should really be focused working on the business. How do I create the best conditions in the company that beget success? Right. As opposed to personally driving that success myself. You can do both, but you must have the mind of on the business if you're going to dive back into the business and be like, okay, someone needs to drive sales this quarter, so I will personally do it because there's no one else. That's different. What I mean is looking at the entire business architecture and being super crystal clear about where you want to take it and how you're going to do it. Mm -hmm. So eventually by doing all these things, I was hundred percent free. Like I, I, the, the relief that I got from working those 60, 80 hour weeks went down to a normal schedule. I could think much more strategically about where we were taking the business into the future. The team got a lot happier and more motivated because they had real roles, real responsibilities, and they knew that I was going to help them get there, but not do the work for them. So their ownership exploded. And that is how we built that's how uh, we built the next year or so before I made the hardest decision of my life, which was to uh, step out of that business entirely. I felt that um, where we had taken it from uh, zero to 5 million, that was the journey that I was happy in going on for myself personally. Of course, the company is growing well beyond that now, but the, that, that was my contribution to this creator mission that we had created. Uh, I okay. felt my time there was done. Okay. Got it. And so with that, when does the spark come to start your own venture? So I, I had made the hardest decision of my life to, to leave Commonwealth Joe, which was back in June of 2019. So not too long ago from, from today. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea, no idea what I wanted to do next. And for the, really the first time I, had, you know, I'd reflected back on my own life. It's like, okay, you know, I, I went to school, I did five years there, then I jumped right into Accenture, did a few years there, then I jumped into Commonwealth Joe, did a few years there. And so for the first time, I didn't have like a plan. And it was very uncomfortable. Entrepreneurship is all about um, your ability to cope with uncertainty. But this was a tremendous, this is like life uncertainty, a tremendous amount of uncertainty is like, oh, I how do I make the most of myself? Like, what do I actually want to do? So I, I decided to take a sabbatical and for three months, I completely tuned out. I, um, I took my phone. I, I shut off the ability to receive texts, emails, phone calls. Wow. I had no meetings. I completely cleared my calendar. 
I essentially popped out of Commonwealth Joe and just went silent. I went dark. I, I prepped like family members and they had like secret ways <laughs> to like, get in touch. I didn't want to not call my mom, you know, like okay. I'm going to call my mom. I'll, I'll, I'll take that phone call. So, um, but I really wanted to just create mental space, just space for rest and recuperation and recovery because by the end of it, I was totally burned out. Even though I had been working on a much more um, easier schedule in those final years, uh, I was I was drained. My entrepreneurial cup was empty. I was I, I was out of gas, and I didn't quite realize it until I like, came to a stop. And even in that three month time period, uh, I, even even on day one, and for the first three weeks of not having anything prescriptive to do. Um, I was still working. I would, I, you know, I'd wake up in the morning, I would grab my journal, grab my laptop, I'd go to a coffee shop, I would like whip it out and be like, all right, what do I want to do with my life? Journal, 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 journal. Okay, time for lunch. Okay, I'm gonna have some lunch. All right, back to the journaling. Journal, okay, here's my strengths finder and my disc profile and, right. you know, who, who am I, all that sort of stuff. And then, yeah. you know, I'd go back for dinner and then my partner would come home, hey babe, how's your, you know, how's your day? I like, I continued that cycle for three weeks without recognizing that I was still working. And it was really, the insight came when I really challenged the notion, what is this part of myself that is requiring me to create anything at all? Some sort of like output for my time. Me feeling like I have to be productive, else this time that I have is squandered. I mean, we're, you know, we're in the coronavirus age right now and it's happening everywhere is like people are talking about, okay, well, if, you know, maybe you have recently lost your job because of unemployment, you know, and now you, you've received this unemployment paycheck, you know, people might want to know is like, well, what skills did you build? What ideas did you start? Like now's the time to do it. I, we must really challenge notions like you don't have to do anything at all. <laughs> and Athletes know this, that you must have a rest and recovery cycle. If you want to train hard, then rest and recovery is an integrated part of that performance program. Like you, you simply cannot do it without it. But that is not a common adage in entrepreneurship, in which if we are going to have sustained high performance over a long period of time, then we almost have to take time off. It's not, take, it's not taking away from the business, it's investing into the business and it's a different mindset. And that's the, that was a very powerful thing that I had learned um, in the summer of 2019 is that I had not been giving myself the rest to have sustained high performance over a longer period of time. And there, that's why I had become burned out, dissatisfied, and I couldn't see why my team was so unhappy or why that um, the business was like having trouble growing because I was the problem. Mm -hmm. So um, that, that was, that was very, that was a very big learning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And parts of that, parts of that story you just mentioned sound pretty, pretty familiar, uh, i.e. myself, mm -hmm. but, <laughs> um, and so uh, where did you go to like take your sabbatical? Did you go anywhere? Did you stay? Yeah, I, um, I ended up traveling to a few places. I went to um, the American Southwest. I went to Thailand with my family for several weeks. And I went to a um, silent, I did a silent meditation retreat in uh, just south of Charlottesville, Virginia. And otherwise, like all the in-between time, I really just had to cultivate within myself that I had been productive my life to create things essentially for some end result or some benefit, whether it was money or reputation or even acknowledgement, um, people saying, hey, you did a good job. Even that was you know, motivating enough. But during this time, what I really wanted to cultivate a sense of is like, what do I want to do? Like, what do I want to do? How do you do that? Yeah. It's like, if you're, it, it, it's so again, the high performer dilemma is anything is possible. So what do you do? Yeah. What do you do? And for me, this, this is going, this might sound absurd to some people, but I literally had to reconnect with myself and just listen to whatever I wanted to do right in that moment as a training mechanism to recalibrate that for myself. 
I'm speaking about it clearly, but at the time it sounded insane. So what did I want to do is like, okay, I want to sleep until 10 AM. So I did. And then I wanted to get up and I wanted to like make myself breakfast and a coffee. So I did. And then I wanted to watch a movie that I hadn't seen on Netflix. And so I did. And then I wanted to go explore a new area of DC I'd never been to before. And so I did. And it was really this step-by-step -step practice of reconnecting with myself and really like going deep introspectively and trying to cultivate the habit of, um, of living a life on my own terms and like really creating a life by design and not by default, which is a practice is like listening to ourselves and our own internal intuition and listening to our gut and then bringing that out and taking action on those things. It's a practice. And so that's why I did for three months to really like teach myself to like give myself the rest and recovery. And by the end of it, my cup felt so full. I said, I felt so much love and joy and passion and energy. Um, by the end of it, it was like, it was such a sign that I needed to recover from my experience having worked so hard and create this company that by the end of it, I was like, I started becoming more and more clear on what I wanted to do next. Yeah. But it was the process of acknowledging that I don't know and then setting that aside and not worrying about it. Mm -hmm. We're going to work. We, we know that figure out life is a problem, but we're going to put it over here and put it down temporarily. You're going to have time to figure it out. But right now, your only job is to almost not figure it out. Like the goal is to like not do that because you do that stuff all your life. The goal right. is to, to not do something different. And that's like very uncomfortable. It's very mm -hmm. uncomfortable to do that. It's a, I, I treat it akin to if you've ever met an individual that, you know, might be, might talk about like, I just sit on the couch all day. I watch like a ton of movies. I play a lot of video games. Like I can't motivate myself to achieve my dreams. I can't motivate myself to like go back to school and like get what I want. My belief now, at least for me, is that entrepreneurs, myself included, we might be so go, 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 productive, output, boom, opportunity, capture, move, 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 that the same struggle happens, but to slow down. I just can't slow myself down. It's so hard to relax. Right. It's so hard to turn off and put things down for the weekend or even the night and actually spend time with my family or call my friends that I haven't talked to in a while. Like that stuff becomes hard. It's easy to work on and in the business. It's hard to live your life. And that's the struggle that I had. Yeah. I love that. Um, Cause that's the, that's the, your, that's your default, right. And you have to get it off of your, away from your default in order to yeah. kind of really take that big step forward. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And so how do you then with all of that time come up with your idea um, and kind of what you do now with the work that you do in helping entrepreneurs? Yeah. So the, the types of things I work on now is a direct result of my own experience of having lived through a tough entrepreneurial journey, a successful entrepreneurial journey, going through these challenges and then coming to the end of it feeling um, half proud and happy, but also like drained and unfulfilled. And so now I work with entrepreneurs to help with exactly that. Many of us get into business for some sort of goal that we have, whether it is personal and financial freedom, or we want to impact the world, our debt into the universe, or we want to make something really cool, really epic, really unique. And then while we are doing it, the, a lot of other stuff happens too. Like we have to learn how to build teams. We have to learn how to do our finances, our back office. We have to learn how to like, what is growth marketing? Like, what do we even do with that? I got to learn Facebook ads. Okay. I guess so. So a lot of things come up, but every founder has to face those things. And my belief is that all of us as founders walk and entrepreneurs walk. We all walk the same journey. However, we are not sharing aspects with each other on that journey. So often we as founders, we show up with this mask on our face in which we, 
we we become this superhuman, this hero figure in front of our investors, in front of our employees, in front of our customers. And we put on this mask. And when our friends ask us, hey, how's the business going? You're like, oh, great. Here's all the positive updates here. You know, we're raising this money. We like launched this and everyone's like, wow, that's amazing. But every entrepreneur knows that it is not rosy. Every person knows it's not rosy, yet we don't talk about it. We don't talk about this underlying self in which we are still a human being. We still have emotions. We still have um, our own needs. And founding a company puts an enormous stress on our own psyche. Um, it challenges like who we are. And even a part of our own identity falls into the business that we are building. And it is for those reasons we can become lost. And so I like to work with entrepreneurs to specifically help them with that challenge and by helping them get out of the weeds. What are the weeds? The weeds right. are all of the different priorities and different pieces of the business where you're just in a mode of working on absolutely everything all at once, but have not taken any time to decide why or what for or where are we going? And you might find yourself like myself, working a lot of hours, answering emails, getting hundreds of emails a day, but asking yourself questions like, why is the team like going home early? Why, why am I the only one working on weekends? I thought this journey was easier than it could be. So I, I specifically help um, entrepreneurs that have those struggles and by um, building their capacity through executive coaching and also consulting, bringing in time-tested strategies to help them pop themselves out and elevate and become the leader that they want to be for the business to become the well-oiled machine that they know it can be. Uh, I, I like to help them do that. Awesome. Interesting. And do you enjoy it? Have you enjoyed it so far? Oh yeah. Yeah. The, the number one reason I do it is because this speaks to me so deeply given my own personal experience and it is the reason why I do it whatsoever. It's my, my personal purpose. Like I realize I do this because I know how tough it is to be an entrepreneur. I know how lonely it can be, how isolating it can be. And we're all hiding behind those masks and we're all alone together, but we don't really recognize it. And um, I love speaking in a language that they understand, that their team understands that they can help reconcile with the things that are going on both in their company, both inside themselves. And uh, yeah, so yeah, the answer is I'm, I'm super passionate about this. Like I, I feel like for my own life, it brings me joy every day. Um, and I, I want that to rub off to everyone I work with. That's awesome. And so what's your ultimate vision for, for your business? Mm -hmm. My ultimate vision is uh, to create a boutique consulting, coaching, and advisory firm to specifically address self-awareness, empathy, leadership, and culture, and strategy operations at work. Essentially bringing, instead of these, these decisions that we make that are purely for economic reasons, everything return on capital, everything just trying to get to the next fundraise, get to the exit, so that you can break it all down and then doing it again. Uh, I envision uh, creating a world where we believe more in unity over division, where we believe in love more than fear, where we believe in impact more than profit, and bringing that culture into companies that believe those same things. So we can operate in a much more mindful, in a much more conscious and profitable way. Right. Awesome. I don't believe that they are, I don't believe that they are mutually exclusive. Awesome. And then getting into these last handful of questions here, it says in your bio that you live a principled, simple life. What does that look like? And what are some of the principles that you live by? Yeah. So I, I, I learned the hard way on like one of those things is just as time management. One of my, one of my principles is the way that we live our lives every day, every single day that goes by is your life today, right now. When we push our own happiness and joy into the future, 
for some extrinsic goal or event. And we place our happiness as a condition to that thing becoming true, then it will guarantee and set up our own life to satisfaction. So for me, one of my principles is that every day, bring joy into every day, that there does not need to be a sacrifice. So typical sacrifices would be, I'll be happy when I get to buy the Ferrari. I'll be happy when I sell my company. I'll be happy when I meet my dream partner. Will you? How do you know? How do you know? You've never done it before. That's a big risk. I like to find ways to be happy now, today. And so how can I bring joy into every day of my life? Um, as opposed to putting it conditionally on something else. That seems very risky to me. But also, I didn't realize any other way. I used to believe those things. I used to believe that if I were to be this world-famous entrepreneur, then I'll finally have the life of my dreams. And I'm here to tell you that that is simply not true. Got you it. You can have it today. <laughs> right, right. Let's say we meet again on the street in five years. What would you want to be telling me that you've accomplished or created since this conversation? Yeah, so if we're meeting on the street, then hopefully, you know, coronavirus is over. That <laughs> we're, everyone's back out, back out right. in person. So I, I also am with you within five years, then for sure, this is all over. What would I want to be telling you that I've accomplished or created? I will um, have wanted to share that I have impacted not just me, but also my team, my company has impacted thousands of leaders, thousands of professionals that are looking to live their lives differently without actually sacrificing their career, but living life more on their terms and building a business of, that really is of their dreams as a means to create a life as much as it is as a means to grow a high growth startup. Awesome. What does your daily routine look like? Daily routine. So uh, every morning, wake up at the same time uh, within a one hour time window, like between 7.30 and 8.30 in the morning. So I sleep in a little bit later than, than most people, but that's just my own biology. I, I, I identify more as a third bird or a night owl than an early bird. So I'm not going to force it. Okay. Um, every, every morning right after I wake up, I meditate. Uh, it's a discipline I've just refined over the years, every day, non-negotiable. Breakfast, coffee, reading, almost reading almost every day, exercising almost every day. And then I will start getting into work and meetings roughly around 10 a.m. So I do everything I can to um, not have any meetings before 10 a.m. because I want that time in the morning for me. It's like my personal time that is going to sharpen the saw and refine my ability to execute well for the rest of the day. But of course, it's progress, not perfection. Do I have meetings before 10? Yeah, they pop up, but it's the exception, not the rule. Right. Uh, I, will, um, I will meet with my clients. I will have um, networking meetings. I'll have uh, prospective meetings. I will uh, be on podcasts like this. <laughs> right. I, will, um, I will work with my internal team on like, what strategies can we come to the table with to like, better serve our clients. And um, then I'll also take time for lunch. I, I used to not do that while at Commonwealth Joe. I never took time off for lunch, but an hour a day, at least 30 minutes, but up to an hour a day, actually having it on the calendar, setting out, setting it aside, having lunch. We're all working from home, school from home right now. So I want to have lunch with my son. I want to have lunch with my partner. We try to do that together. And then same thing with dinner, trying to make that at a consistent time every day. And then I, I do my, I do my best to log off before um, six or seven, but again, there are exceptions. Do I work until 10 p.m. sometimes? Absolutely. Um, do I sign off at 4 p.m. sometimes? Absolutely. Um, do I take days off? Yes. Do I work on weekends? Yes. Do I also not work on weekends? Also yes. <laughs> so it's, um, it, it, my daily routine is all captured in my calendar and I use that as an asset to help reflect on um, every month. So every month I run a report, how did I actually use my time over the last four weeks in the month? 
in order to cultivate more awareness around how my time is being used. So if I want to drive a certain result in the business or in my life, better family relationships, calling my parents, those things, then, well, did I spend the time doing it or not? I believe that time is a, uh, time is as important, actually much more important than money, but uh, time is a, is a currency, just like money is. The, the fun thing about time is that everyone between you, myself, and Steve Jobs and the Pope has the same amount every single day. Every day is 24 hours, no matter who you are. And so if we want to create a life that we want to live, it's really a function of how are we using our time on a daily basis. Right. That's great. And so as is the name of the podcast, the Driving Force podcast, what do you think has been your driving force throughout your life? Oh, throughout my life, I would say number one, passion. Like I, I get so fired up about building new things, uh, tackling hard problems and doing things differently. Uh, just, you know, wanting, wanting to do things that may be untraditional. And that drives me It's like this passion, this fiery energy that I have, um, that, that drives me forward. I would also say that in a ever pursuit of more and more awareness, just continuously every day, every week, just waking up to the world that we are in, to the life that you have, to uh, our society, our environment, the conditions, even up our, to our universe. is like, we are living in this whole thing, this whole universe, and we're all inside of it. And we are, we're all, only somewhat conscious of things. And I believe that most knowledge out there remains vastly unknown to all of humanity. And so I'm driven by what is this unknown knowledge? Like I, I know very, very little, very, very little in comparison to a wealth of things that remain unknown and we all do. So that's what drives me, my curiosity. Mm -hmm. I'm curious about what are the things that we're doing right now that 20 years from now, we're going to look back and be like, I can't believe we were doing that stuff. <laughs> right. Awesome. And then lastly here, before we wrap up, what parting words of wisdom or advice would you like to leave the budding entrepreneur who's listening? Mm, parting wisdom advice. So number one, if you have not given yourself a break, no one is going to give you permission to take time off except for you. You have to remember that you are your boss in this way. And by not taking time off, even if it's for an hour, even if it's for a day or a weekend, you must give yourself the permission to have it. No one will tell you, okay, you did well, you achieved your goals to so take a break. You have to give it to yourself as if you were giving it to an employee, as if you were giving it to a close friend. We must treat ourselves like close friends, this inner self that we have. Give yourself a gift. That's what we say, do yourself a favor. Treat yourself, it's like, it's a modification of the golden rule. Mm -hmm. It's like treat others the way you want to be treated. Treat yourself the way that you want to be treated. Mm -hmm. It's like, we need to treat ourselves as someone different than us. And once we see it that way, you'll, you may realize how hard you've been on yourself or how rigid you are or how disciplined that you are resentful. You are of your behaviors that you might be, um, the same that I was. Awesome. So give yourself a break. Yeah. It's a great place to end. Chase. Thanks again for coming on. This is great. Mm. Chase. Thank you for having me. This is great. <laughs> yeah. Where can people go to find you online and learn more about your work? Yeah. So you can find me on LinkedIn or you can go directly to chasedamiano.com. That's D-A-M-I-A-N-O.com. Awesome. And you, you all can also visit my website, chaserosa.com and follow me on Instagram at chaserosa4 for updates on new episodes. Thanks everyone who's listening and see you next time.